0: Hello and welcome to Hardcover Hose, a long-distance book club where two book lovers express their feelings on their book of the moment via podcast. I am one half of your host, Sam Dixon.
1: And I am Sammy Skorstad.
0: Together we have combed through book talk, combined our to be read lists, and now we intend to make our way through them one book at a time. We'd love for you to come along with us and join the discussion. Oh yeah, and today is the eighth day of bookmas! Over halfway, baby! I'm sure my neighbors love it when I scream that part, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yep,
1: yep. Okay. Uh there's actually no book of the moment for today's episode. Instead, as part of the twelve days of Bookmas, we will have a completely different kind of episode today. Um, in honor of the eighth day of Bookmas, we are going to be discussing our favorite works of nonfiction.
0: I know. It's shocking that we read things other than smut. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, let's get into it. <laughs> All right. You want to go first? Yeah, I, like I think, these episodes. I love not having structure sometimes.
1: Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> I'm gonna um, mention first a book that I have mentioned a couple times before now. Yeah. Um, I think it. I read this one the beginning of the year and I think it's just left its mark on me more than any other nonfiction work and that's mm-hmm. um, Cassandra Speaks. Yeah. And um, I was thinking more about like what was in it and the second half of the book. So they talk about initially like some of the mythology and the stories um where women are kind of the uh the cause of all of man's suffering and stuff so like that's kind of how you start off and then it goes into talk a lot about power and how to how women essentially I think can redefine what power means because a lot of times when people who are socialized to be men um try to exude power, they do so at the cost of someone else. Mm-hmm. And so there's a a lot of talk about it's like, okay, how we can redefine what power actually means and what that would actually look like. And I don't know, so it's just i I recommend it to everybody, I think. It really made me think about a lot of things, but it also made me feel really empowered as someone who identifies as a woman, mm-hmm. um, and I just felt very, like, okay, I can I can literally do whatever I want to do, and I can do it in a way that is good for me and can be good for other people, too. Like, I don't know. It just, like, I, I was, like, I, this book was a book where I'm, like, I can change the world. Yeah. Okay. So and. Yeah. Very few books make me think that. Um, so, yeah. I I will always love that book.
0: I have also two feminist manifestos in my okay. list. Uh, one of them is a classic, A Room of One's Own. Okay. I read uh, earlier this year or late last year. Can't remember. Um, I... Don't necessarily like Virginia Wolf. Pretty much the only book I actually really enjoy of hers is Orlando because it's kind of like a think piece on transgender, like in and in from her time, which was like kind of big, huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed that book, but uh A Room of One's Own like got me thinking more of about. Ooh, did you hear my Alexa? I did. Just, ooh, that's uh, I think it's our Christmas tree. Yeah. Exciting, which is very festive for this. Um. But I just wanted to, to have a nod to A Room of One's Own because I did enjoy the concept of there are a few simple things that women need in their lives to feel independent, and that is space of their own, a place mm-hmm. to write, and, you know, access to education. Um, yeah. And I'm, I, you know, I, I support those things. So Yeah. <laughs> my other feminist manifesto on my list is The Soul of a Woman by Isabella Allende. Here mm-hmm. I am again. I have two Isabella Allende works on this list today, okay? I just want to start with that, all right? Mm-hmm. I love this woman to bits and pieces and a soul of a woman. I read for a class cause I was doing like a think piece on Isabel Allende uh, for a uh, Latinx politics class that I was taking. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually ingested a gummy before reading this book. And I read this book <laughs> in one session and I think that I should only read feminist, men- feminist manifestos while high, because they- it was my brain was thinking all the thoughts, okay. Okay, um, I this book focuses on is a in her life now as like a middle aged woman, and it's very sex positive, like mm-hmm. very sex positive forward. Like, she discusses what it's like to want to keep your desire and actively talk about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she also discusses like the way that her dating life ran amok even though that's not what her family wanted and like there's all these societal pressures to to put a woman in a box like we're supposed to think from when we're young we want to get married we want to have kids right and we want to be a housewife basically right and she's like i obviously i wanted kids she has kids Mm -hmm. i wanted kids and i did think that falling in love and getting married would be great but these at the top of my list was to do something i'm passionate about and that has always been writing um and i just love this woman and yeah. it was fucking funny. Like, she is funny. And I appreciate a work of nonfiction that is funny. So mm-hmm. this was one of those ones where I highly recommend it, especially to get more of a um, <clears throat> an angle of a, of a Latina woman who has gone through being literally politically exiled from her own country yeah. um, and is now a New York Times bestselling author and everything she writes goes to the top of that list. So I think it's a great pick. to show how to get over adversity in your career field and uh, embrace what it is to be a woman.
1: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, so I have a few Isabel Allende books and I think I have, uh, which I don't know. One of the ones I bought was accidentally assigned version. And so it was like, right. That was like 40 (laughs) or $50, but I have it. Um, I, so I just i I think before I move forward, I want to make a disclaimer that like I do not read nonfiction often.
0: I don't either. I read like maybe one a month, maybe,
1: maybe. <laughs> See, for me, I think I've read like five total. Okay, ever. Um, that does like not including literal textbooks that I've had to read. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I um. So, yeah, I'm, like, I'm newer to nonfiction. I have quite a bit that I have on my list that I'm, like, excited to read moving forward. But, like, genuinely, I think Cassandra Speaks was, like, the first time I was, like, oh, I can really enjoy nonfiction.
0: That's a big deal. Huge. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. I am with you.
1: Yeah. Um, one book I'm looking at the title right now that I think, oh, my God, I think I read probably when I was, like, 17 yeah um when i wanted to be like who is she tumblr right, pick right. me pixie all all of the those vibes you know yeah, yeah yeah um it's called but what if we're wrong and okay. it's by chuck klosterman and um klosterman yeah chuck klosterman i, I wonder <laughs> if he's it's a man so i wonder if he's canceled um oh good i'm gonna look that up But it's – ultimately, it's just a book of, like, questions kind of that make you – it's just, like, really makes you, what like, have a what-the-fuck moment, existential Mm -hmm. crisis moment. Like, all of the things that we assume to be true or assume to be ways of living and, like, how we've gotten to the point to believe them Mm -hmm. and how we could just as easily – something else could come about that would just as easily – dismantle i guess all the things that we've believed to be true like paradigm shifts and how that would work yes yeah okay yeah and it's just like how we're really teetering on like like it is a very flimsy uh um foundation of which we are standing on you know and it's like things can be pulled out from under us and so, yeah, that was, like, also a book. I, I never actually finished it because I think I was having too much of a I, nothing is real. Like, it was like ego death on mushrooms without mushrooms. And it was I'm just dead. kind of like, <laughs> oh, my God, nothing's real. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that, uh, that was one of the, I think that was one of my earlier nonfiction. All right attempt okay uh i have one that i read for school actually okay. that i think i Can really like you, you're you not gonna guess it but was go it for education? it education what no was
0: it, oh educated or whatever it's called
1: i never finished that one. Oh, oh i'm dead i was gonna
0: buy it if we were gonna do it and then i was like yeah i never bought it
1: no i didn't finish it okay
0: anyways good sorry
1: okay so this is for my this was my big girl moment
0: 16
1: okay. going to saddleback college okay. I went I took classes over the summer be- um, before junior year of high school yeah and I took a uh, world history it was uh I forget the time period but it was like up until the 1500s okay um so I think it was just literally like everything up until the 1500s but he the professor was really cool and like he that was like the first time I had like an unconventional way of learning, I guess, or like not a structured high school public education curriculum way of learning mm-hmm. And so it was like a few essays. we watched a lot of like interviews with historians and stuff. He wasn't like a big lecturer, but like I still feel like I got so much out of. The um the class, but anyways, one of the books there was no textbook that was like the big thing that blew my mind. I'm like, this is a history class, <laughs> why is there no textbook? Um, but he assigned a few books, and one of them was When Asia Was the World. Okay, and it just kind of talked about how like the time period I guess of when Asia it was like AD seven hundred to fifteen hundred when Asia was like the primary like producer of goods and like development and a lot of this was like in the um the Muslim empires and stuff and there were like the most like impressive advancements in um in science and math mm-hmm. and all of these things and in technology and all all of the things. Um, and it just and then it like it also really talked about how a lot of things were connected and how information was shared uh, like across the world essentially
0: uh-huh.
1: and I don't know it was just like it was a really amazing way to learn history and I I, I think that kind of sparked like i had always liked history but that really sparked like oh my god history is like so exciting like I yeah. freaking love this and I like this was a book assigned for a class from like god seven years ago and I still remember it and yeah yeah it, that's
0: impressive that's impressive. yeah
1: yeah it was cool it was it was a cool book so yeah
0: interesting I mm-hmm. also have a few school books actually which is I can't tell if that's just me when I was like the student who actually liked the books when we were uh-huh. doing the readings you know Um, I, I briefly mentioned, I'm going to, so I'm just going to do a nod to this, but I briefly mentioned this in like books that have stuck with us, but the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Right. Um, I think about that book all the time and it's one of the most honest works of nonfiction that almost, I, I think I tend to like nonfiction works when they almost sound like they are a novel. Right. Not in the sense that like the story is great. Right. But the sense that like the, the writing feels like it's, it, the author took care in their mm-hmm. writing. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't just say, here, words, on page, read, now. Yeah. Right? They were like, let me tell you this in the way that it happened, in a way that really expresses the truth of it all. Right. Um, so, quick nod to, to that one. And also, okay, these two are just, like, just, here's my little political science brain, right? Uh, one of them is Get Out the Vote uh, okay. by a bunch of authors. This was assigned as a textbook, but it's, like, not a textbook, right? Right. Um, and it just was... A very eye-opening part of me finishing my degree was like in the beginning of learning like how voting works and how demographics are reached and uh all very complex and nerdy political science shit um (laughs) but Mm -hmm. just like how how people try to market to demographics for voting and how voting actually works and how voting how we can get out the word to vote uh in ways that are helpful not harmful right um and how to better access like the the historically marginalized demographics that don't often vote or haven't often voted or how to to be able to tell these groups in different ways like why voting is important and i think Mm -hmm. it was it was really one integral to my degree and two uh interesting to see as we're living in the age of social media in which like getting people to vote has never been this easy in a way because we've never been like this book obviously came about before social media so it's talking about like sending little mailers Mm -hmm. like things in the like flyers in the mail and how to address them and how like you should include both English and Spanish on them if you're sending them in this area and things like that and how like what is the percentage of people who actually respond to those and actually do vote based off of the mailers in the mail right versus Mm -hmm. now we can you know everybody on like voting day gets a little sticker on their right Instagram that says I voted Mm
1: -hmm. right Mm
0: -hmm. like that's a big thing social media is like really tying into this and so it was very interesting to compare and contrast especially like the fact that I started college after a massive election and then I ended college after a massive election. Right. So it was very, very timely. Yeah. Uh, very timely. It was the best time and any political science uh, professor will say the same thing, but it was the best time to be a student learning politics yeah. uh, over the past four years, because it really allowed
1: a lot of things to come to light. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say. And you always had something to talk about. Absolutely. You always- <laughs> there was never
0: a dry moment. Let me yeah. just tell
1: you that. Um Notes. I mean, yeah, oh, but- can I just interject, yeah. like, on yeah, the yeah. voting thing? I also think this is going to turn into political science commentary. That's but fine. <laughs> so interesting, this past election, I remember Tana Mongeau. At Mon- yes, yes. She, she said she- she'd get sell nudes or give you yes. nudes if you voted. Mm-hmm. N- and not just if you voted, proof that you voted for Biden. Uh, yeah,
0: which is not a... It, 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 like, sh- I think she got subpoenaed for this because... Yeah. Yeah. You but- can't buy votes, and that's technically no. buying a vote. Yeah. Right,
1: right. <laughs> but... Like the, like the game is kind of changing yeah. for, um, well, and
0: you know, I know David Dubrick is massively canceled and he deserves to be, but yes, you know, he had one of the biggest voter registration moments in all of history when he said, uh, I'm going to give away 10 Teslas to people mm-hmm. who registered to vote and prove that to me that you registered to vote. And he had like 2 million people register to vote.
1: That's fucking insane. Over the
0: course of like one week for his little That's giveaway thing.
1: That is insane. the that was the single
0: most people who have ever registered to vote during one singular campaign.
1: Yeah. This okay, this really just goes to show you need young minds who mm-hmm. are yep. like in like they need to be a part of the planning and the Absolutely. part of the brainstorming because you like things are different now and Absolutely. like to think outside of the box and to and like a lot of things where people Older people would probably think that was so dumb. If someone volunteered yes. that at, like, a brainstorming <laughs> session, they'd be like, that's fucking stupid. No. Next. Yeah.
0: And yeah. then it worked Because the and, odds are you're not going to be the one who gets the Tesla, right? But it's right. enough that yeah. people are like, I'll try, right? And it fits
1: in – and it works because it was David Dobrik, because yeah. he had been doing all those giveaways. And because, yeah. like, so it just – I don't know. It's just – it's so interesting the way – that like social media influencers mm-hmm. can use their platform for political ends yeah, and yeah. stuff, and it's this just is
0: a key part of of what I did for like final papers and like almost every political science class that right, I took at right. university was because it's so interesting. Because now is the time that we are gathering all of that information. One of the things we had to do in the class that actually signed that Get Out the Vote uh, book mm-hmm. was we had to volunteer with a voter. Uh, campaigning organization doesn't matter which one and it's not for like it's just for registering voters right Mm -hmm. not for like you have to vote for this person or whatever uh you had to do at least 40 hours throughout the semester with a campaign for voting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh And it's all based in social media. It was not, like, in person. And I know we were in the middle of the pandemic, right? Right, right. But, like, it was you are in a Google or whatever, Microsoft Teams thing with a bunch of people from all over the U.S. who all have specific texting times. And they use a specific app. And they copy and paste a paragraph that's like, have you registered to vote? And it's texting real people. And they're all assholes because they're tired of people asking them to register to vote, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, It was just crazy. It It was a very interesting experience. And I think, like, having the information
1: that I gathered from also that book was very, you know, interesting and insightful. Um, Yeah. So, our listeners, if you are in – if you are entering the age of 18 – fucking go register, register to vote, to vote. don't <laughs> wait important. for Santa Manjo to try and buy your votes don't wait for a tesla yeah, yeah. Like, register just go, to vote. Just go register it takes
0: it. it takes two minutes you can do it on for whatever state you're in on any website and if you have questions about voter registration rules and how late you can register to vote in your uh, particular county for you know local uh state elections. level or or national elections you there is a fantastic resource uh promoted and produced by the green brothers who we fucking love um in which they on their crash course channel they have a video that shows how to register to vote in all 50 states you click on your state it sends you to a video that tells you how to do it with a link at the bottom that you can click on to go do it in real time somebody will literally hold your hand and walk you through it it's very easy register to vote
1: there's no excuse there's literally
0: no excuse and vote oh my god this is your like i'm not gonna be that person right now but vote like, this is so important. It doesn't matter what level that you are voting on. Express your right as, as, as you know, a fucking person in the U.S. who has citizenship, right? Right. Like, vote. This is yeah. your civil duty. Vote. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> done talking up about that realm of politics. <laughs> I have okay. another one for later, but. <laughs> Before we move on to discuss more of our favorite works of nonfiction, let's listen to a quick word about the brand sponsoring today's episode. before I move on, we just want to remind you all that today is the eighth day of our 12 Days of Bookmas Marathon. We've really enjoyed ourselves so far and we hope you'll continue to join us for the rest of our 12-day Bookish Marathon leading up to Christmas Day.
1: Okay. Uh, okay. I have one. Go. Okay. To me. Let's talk about sex. Okay. Okay. This book, <laughs> I'm not done with it yet, um, but I've been listening to the audiobook. Love an audiobook. Love yes. a nonfiction
0: audiobook. Yes. It's different. It's...
1: And it does. And I'm like, oh, my mm-hmm. God. Like, I do it when I'm driving and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm learning something. Yep. I am. Yep. Look at me. Look at me. I love audiobooks when I'm doing
0: the dishes or working or whatever. I'm like, look yeah. at me. I'm, yeah. I'm making my brain do so many things right
1: now. I'm showing up for myself. Literally. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Literally. This is um, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And it's okay so it presents with some research done recently um or like over the last 10 years or something about uh female anatomy and like people who identify as women with female anatomy Mm -hmm. um because unfortunately that is like she she addresses how like this book is does have a kind of specific demographic because it reflects the research that has been done so far. Mm-hmm. That makes um,
0: sense. Yeah. I like a nod to, to things like that, by the way. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and she's like, I am here to write a book when there is research that I can write with for any and every other identity. I and yeah. So, I, and I, I freaking love that. So anyways, so this, it talks about sex and it talks about your brain and it talks about your organs and. And so it, it does the sciencey part, but it doesn't do it in a painful way. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it gives you the information you need to be like, "Oh my god, I understand now why this is how I react in this situation. Mm-hmm. I understand now why I like this, or why I don't like this, or mm-hmm. why I feel this way with my partner, or all these things." And she like shows she she's a sex psychologist. Okay. Um. I guess she has like I, I think a bajillion PhDs, uh, but she's also a professor, and um, so she kind of integrated a few of um, a few real stories of um, people who obviously consented to have their lives talked about, um, but it was just okay, all, like the stories of the people who had suffered some sort of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And then going into like the chapters that discussed sex after sexual trauma, no matter how many years, no matter – and like it also talked about religious trauma and it talked about the ways in which our brain is shaped in the times, the early days of – when our brain is shaped to associate things with sex Mm -hmm. and associate things with pleasure or not associate things with pleasure. And like, honestly, this book has just been mind blowing in so many ways. And it just, it it helped me to understand me Mm -hmm. so much better. And it was like, and it made me feel not embarrassed or ashamed for certain things that I've like struggled with, I guess. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's, like, what the whole goal of the book was to do, was to, like, put the power back in the hands of women who maybe didn't feel at any given time, like, they were – they had the power in sexual situations. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, – like, oh, my God. Anyone, any person with a vagina, like, please read or listen to this book. This it, – it, it just, like – I think it's the sex ed course that we all needed, needed, but didn't get, (laughs) but didn't get. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's like, there's some, there's the sciencey stuff to back up the claims that she's making and stuff. And to like help you, but it's done in such a way. And like in, in a self-aware way of like, all right, buckle in. Like we're going to get into some like numbers and stuff, Mm -hmm. but like, it'll be short and it's necessary. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it it just, like, kind of blew my mind of, like, and, I I still have more to listen to, but so far, it's just really, like, I feel like I actually, like, know a part of myself that I've been, like, neglect, I don't know why I just clucked my, (laughs) (laughs) but, like, a part that I've, like, has been neglected Mm -hmm. for so long, and I'm, like. Okay, I forgive I forgive myself and I forgive parts of me and things that have happened to me and I'm okay with where I'm at and I know how to move forward. Right. With things and it's just like oh it's so freaking good <laughs> and I think um, she's the author too has done a few podcasts with uh, Glennon Doyle I think and oh, okay. her team and maybe also with Brene Brown. Okay she did um and so and like those were really good too and just like gave a little more insight and i just i i also just love hearing authors talk about their books mm-hmm. and explain their books even if you haven't read them yet it's yeah. just like okay now i really want to read it because right. i listened <laughs> to the author talk about why it's important and why they did it and yeah so i love that yeah if you want to understand more about sex as a woman as a person with vagina or whatever you identify as then I recommend this book
0: that sounds awesome
1: yeah um
0: <clears throat> I have like a quick nod to Paula by Isabella Yende I know I talked about it in books that have stayed with us uh mm-hmm. episode um I obviously it stayed with me um <laughs> I mm-hmm. can't wait for you to eventually read it yeah uh, I bought it for SD for Christmas so I can't wait for Sheesh! him to read it um did you buy it in Spanish? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's Cute. big. It's long. Really? Okay. The other version. Yeah, the Spanish version. Um, but on, on my slight tangent of just uh, Latinx books that I enjoyed, um, I also have a book that's literally just called Latino Studies. Okay. Um, and it was assigned as a textbook, but it is not – it's like – it's not a textbook. It's like, it's like a book, right? And it's mm-hmm. a uh, work of nonfiction that talks about um, different ways in which Latin American history has been taught. Uh, and it goes into different sections on different kinds of Latinos and how, how their history has been taught and how it is taken in um, into, like, U.S. context, like, U.S. educational context, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. how Chicano studies have evolved over the years and how, like... Uh, Puerto Rican studies have evolved over the years and how there's a whole realm now in the U.S. of studies dedicated to uh, Latinx Latina studies and how as that develops, we can see more of how the United States played a role in each of these histories Mm -hmm. that is usually negative, right? It's it's very big on perspective and how now it is an interesting thing to see that the U.S. is acknowledging it. In, an academic a higher academic setting,
1: I only know, like in stage. that setting. I don't well, think the well, U.S. is acknowledging it. Yeah, in well, any okay, other fair, ways, fair, but... fair.
0: And it uh, it discusses like you know how border laws over the years uh, have shifted different cultural standards and shifted different cultural ideas, and uh, in in different demographics of Latin American peoples, and it's just so one interesting to read because you know i I know a lot like about chicano studies and chicano history but not a lot about other (laughs) Mm -hmm. necessarily uh uh, latina people um so it for me it was very interesting and also to see how like uh, the primary things that i know about other like overarching things that i know about these other cultures in latin america is that the u.s did something bad to them. <laughs>
1: that's a good way to start off. Like, honestly, you can pretty right? much start off any, like, learning about any other country. Like, what did the U.S. do to you? Let's like, see.
0: I, I, I took so many, like, uh, Latina history courses in college that it may as well have been my minor. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it almost was. I was just too lazy to declare one. Um,
1: <laughs> Fair too enough. Too much
0: paperwork, dude. Too much paperwork in meetings mm-hmm. with your academic advisor who doesn't remember you anyways. Um, that's a talk for another time. But mm-hmm. I, I just recall, like, learning about all these different layers of uh, Latina history that in addition to my own family's like cultural history and stuff that I was just like, yeah, the common occurrence here is the US being a dick. Um, and this book really talks about the effect the aftermath of those dickish um,
1: <laughs> actions mm-hmm.
0: and how that has influenced like how we learn about cultures on an, a higher academic level. And it's just, it was so interesting. And it was the only textbook, quote unquote, that I've purchased, like purchase, purchased, hard purchased, mm-hmm. not rented. Because I was like, I want to read this over and over and over again. Like, this is very insightful. And it's written by a man, which is, wow. <laughs> he, he acknowledges in the beginning, he's like, I know I'm a man, um, but I want to, I have a team of women (laughs) who helped me write this to also like, it it discusses how like cities are written for, for, uh, or like cities are created infrastructure wise, like for men to cater to men, especially in like uh, in Mexico city, for example, right. Over the last few years, because they have a female in charge, they have uh, started creating a, two-dimensional subway system that has subways and buses specifically for women and children
1: hey look at
0: that it is genius oh my god I am obsessed with it but there were a lot of these things that that are acknowledged
1: I, I mean I know it reflects the reality but it's like interesting that it's like men and then women and children
0: yeah uh, because the 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 premise behind it was like there were so many attacks on women and
1: w- mm-hmm. especially
0: women with their children because they appear to be weaker if they are taking right. care of a young child, right? Yeah. Um, that so many of these attacks were going on that they decided to shift their subway systems and their bus systems to have like and the buses are pink, right? They're 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 mm-hmm. not taking away a lot of gendering roles.
1: Yeah. Goals. But it's another, I yeah, think the overall
0: idea that it's identifiable so that if you see a man, a man, a men, <laughs> if you see a man trying to get on that train, uh, there's like an alarm that you can sound. Wow. Now, where does that, it, it doesn't go into detail of discussing, like, how does that uh, work into if there are non-binary people? Right. Like, where, where do you get to get on the train? You know, things like this. But these are things that are being uh, acknowledged and worked through. Mm -hmm. Um, and talked about instead of shying away from it so uh, applaud applause very 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 much yes
1: but that is one of those books that
0: that i was like i really enjoyed reading this
1: (laughs) there is um one other book from that same history class yeah um it's called the human web and it's called a bird's eye view of world history and um and it was it, it like piggybacked off of the when asia was the world Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because it just – it talked about the early days of, like, human connection mm-hmm. um, across, like, across continents, across cultures, across religions, and how things – the times when things were peaceful connections and – or interactions and things weren't. But also, it was interesting to learn about, like, how through, like, wars – and stuff Mm -hmm. was a big time period when there was a transference of technology and art and like and then they would bring things back to wherever they came from or whatever and they would have new technology and they would also have new techniques for art or like, like with whatever if it's stucco or like I don't know just different things and like this is back in like 2000 BC time, you know. And a yeah. lot of this is, you know, European or like Roman and Greek going into um like North Africa or going into okay. um like uh like Western Asia a little bit too, you know. And I don't it's just like it was really and they had evidence of like at some point like where different things whether it were like pottery or different, like, engravings or certain things. It was, like, we have evidence that these two cultures traded because of these... I think this is so interesting. Artifacts found. Yeah. And it's, like, it is so interesting. And, Mm -hmm. like, the way you can, like, kind of... They would postulate a little bit, like, okay, through this interaction, or we have evidence of this war, or of this, or this, or that, or we know they met at this point, um... But it was just cool to put – because it was very much a bird's eye view of, like, let's zoom out and see where all of the, the, this web – how this web was created and, like, just strengthened over time. And it, I don't know. It was just, I, again, another way of learning history that I hadn't been exposed to yet and right. was so exciting. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God. That's so freaking cool. What? This is <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm going to be a professor and I'm going to be like this and assign things like this. But, um, yeah, that I think that might be my last nonfiction. But I, I do before. I know you have. Have a lot more. <laughs> okay. Okay. You go. You go.
0: Okay. I have actually my remaining ones are more personal ones, not like okay history ones. Right, um, right. So, one I read probably five or six or seven years ago. It's called This Star Won't Go Out, which uh, is a book that was published under Esther Earl's name. Esther Earl might be a familiar name for some of you. She was a 16-year-old girl who uh, passed away of cancer um, and was... Lightly, the inspiration for John Green's novel, The Fault in Our Shars, lightly. Oh. Uh, they became friends at a nerdfighter get together, uh, and he became friends with her family, and he wanted to help financially support her family at the time. Um, and leading up to Esther's death, she loved to journal. So, this book that has been published by her family is a publication of her journals throughout the years uh and her artwork throughout the years and it I remember like the first time I read it just feeling like absolutely beyond touched her family now has like a a charity foundation called this Star Won't Go Out and it is aimed to help um financially support the families of kids with cancer because mm. not like not just in the level of like uh medical bills, but in helping paying rent, helping buying groceries, things that like the real, the realities of life that carry on, even when you have a child who has cancer. So um, they try to help lighten that burden. Um, And yeah, when I read this book, it was, uh, you know, I knew Esther's story. And I'm friends with you know, with Esther's friends and I'm friends with Esther's mom, Lori, and who might actually listen to the podcast. Hi, Lori. I I will continue to pimp out their charity at any given moment. Um, And I just, this was one of those books that breaks your heart the whole way through Mm. because it's not, it wasn't written to be a book. It was written to be a reflection of thoughts on paper and that it's just heartbreaking. Um, My other couple ones Uh, probably one of the best works of nonfiction I read this year was Crying in H-Mart.
1: I've been hearing so much about that. I really need to read it. I
0: first saw it just, like, on, like, a picture of something, like, of just the cover, and I was like, wow, that looks good. And I thought it was a novel, because the cover looks like a novel. It does. Um, (laughs) so when I saw it at Powell's, when, like, the week it came out, I was like, oh, I have to buy this, so I bought it. And it is a memoir, which I don't usually read. Like, I guess I kind of (laughs) do, but not, Mm -hmm. not on purpose, I guess. Um from the guitarist of Japanese Breakfast. Uh-huh. And she writes about her experience of losing her mother to cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are all my books about cancer? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just this deep book about her watching her mother deteriorate in a way where she has to step in and kind of learn the recipes like the korean recipes that her mom tried to teach her when she was growing up but she was too stubborn to listen to yeah. and things like this it was ju- it's just heartbreaking because you, you obviously know that her mom's gonna die at some point in the book right uh and it's just heartbreaking to read that experience and the reflection and how she was like i never felt good enough for my mother or loved by my mother but then like in her absence i have this un- inexplicable heartbreak you know right um it was beautiful it, i recommend this book to anyone it i fucking loved it and the the audiobook was very good too um okay and almost done <laughs> two more <Okay. laughs> i have a book called sorted uh by my good friend jackson bird he published this a few years ago it is about his experience of realizing that he was a trans man mm-hmm. um And his experience, especially being a public figure, he ran a very popular... I'm sorry, Jackson, if you still run this YouTube channel. I don't watch YouTube anymore. Um, But he used to run a YouTube channel called Will It Waffle, uh, wherein he would put weird shit in a waffle maker and... Almost burned his his New York apartment (laughs) down. Um, I met Jackson back in 2014, I want to say, at VidCon for the first time. And then we both ended up living in New York at the same time. So uh, his experience in coming out, in being a public figure and coming out and having people watch how testosterone changes how he Mm -hmm. looks and how he sounds over the years. And uh, just how people regard him in all those ways. He is so... Eloquent in the way he writes. I just love him so much. So I'm very, I was very proud when he first published his book. And it was one of the first nonfiction books I read, I think, when I, like, that wasn't for school when I was in high school, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And it's just beautifully written. And I, enjoyed reading his perspective of things as you know like a cis woman like it's, yeah. it's interesting to pick up another perspective that's not your own and so i applaud jackson for everything he's done and uh he deserves all the accolades he's received for his book and my final one predictably also one of the best uh nonfiction works ever this year predictably the anthropocene reviewed by john green oh, yes um which is uh, i am not the kind of person who likes to read other people's essays even though I do it pretty frequently. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but this is a collection of essays that John is that he rates uh, things from the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. And it's random. It's always something weird that you never would have considered. In one essay, he talks about the history and his feelings on Diet Dr. Pepper. And this sounds weird when you're trying to explain it to somebody who doesn't listen to maybe his podcast. But it's so lyrical and beautiful and elegantly written. And I just love this man. And he starts with, um, I believe the first chapter is on the song uh, You'll Never Walk Alone. Which is the li- which is the the, the <laughs> coincidentally the motto for Liverpool supporters, uh, and Liverpool Football Club. And so there's just so many things in this in his essays that I just I think I cried. Like this is one of those books where like I had to read it slowly, which I don't do. Yeah. I usually eat a book. Like I'm like I do not wait. I don't like waiting. I like to read it all in one sitting. This book right. I had I cried so much. Just because I was moved emotionally by the words. Not even like it was sad. It was just moving me so much that I would like, I was like, man, I need a break. (laughs) I need need to like read the next essay tomorrow. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Um, Everything he discusses is in such a way that is like, reminds you that people have the most incredible minds. And John Green is included in that. Like, I would never have thought to rate things from you know the human centered planet on a five star scale but here it is and it's a book of perfection and an easy five stars for me and i recommend this to anyone it also has a very beautiful cover and if you are not a book person and you but you are interested all of the things he reviews are in his podcast in different episodes of the anthropocene reviewed online and highly recommend them because they're but don't don't listen if you don't want to cry because, okay. I made the mistake of like listening to those when I would commute in New York,
1: and I would be like
0: fully sobbing on the subway. So understood. Yeah, I, I have read that on my bookshelf. Yeah, I need to you have to. It's so good. It's. I know. I think I'll really so like good. it. It's so just real. It's so like let me reflect on these things that might be simple. And there's a historical background that he takes. He does a lot of research into each of these things he discusses, and I just wow I, I i think it's so interesting and unique that it, it's one of those things that i was like yeah this is this is something that i think most people should read and it just won uh the book re- the goodreads uh best nonfiction nonfiction non-fiction yeah or best essays good for him yeah and and uh, crying in h mark just won best memoir as well for the year cute so, good good no. for them
1: yeah love that love that <laughs> Okay, I well, want to go through yeah. a minor list of oh. the books, the nonfiction books that I want to read yeah. that are, like, pressing yeah. that I need to read. Okay, yeah. top of that list yeah, um, is The Body Keeps the Score. Okay, which, I keep seeing that
0: everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a
1: book about trauma and yeah. psychology, psychiatry, essentially, and just, I like, everyone who has read it and has recommended it is just, like... Like, kind of, like, how I, I think, saw Come As You Are was, like, I understand myself so much more now. Like, Mm -hmm. and I know now how to deal with myself and how to treat myself with, especially for people who've, like, suffered trauma and who have, you know, been the victims of some things and... And, like, I think there was, a, like, a part of the book, it mentioned something about, like, not having trauma as a trauma in itself. And I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, so many. So, like, that. I have the audiobook. Um, and I think I'm going to start that as soon as I'm done with Come As You Are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Next, I want to do Unbound, which was... I keep seeing that everywhere. Tarana mm-hmm. Burke. And she was the creator of the Me Too movement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I... I really, really, really want to read that. I listened to her interview with um, Glennon Doyle on her podcast. Okay, okay. And I was like, oh, shit, this, this shit's going to make me cry. This is going to be, like, <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, so I have that one. I also have Hood Feminism.
0: Yes, and that's on my list
1: too. Yes, um, I need to expand my knowledge of feminism and how I can do better and be better um so yeah i have that on my list and i think that's gonna be really good um the anthropocene reviewed obviously Mm.
0: it's it's so good (laughs) i know i
1: know i know i know um also i like i've been listening to glennon doyle for a long time but i also really want to read i haven't read her books yet and she has untamed yeah i was gonna
0: say i want Uh, untamed is on my list
1: yeah untamed and love warrior Mm -hmm. two which came before untamed and I, I just, I love her. I, I love her love with Abby, Wambach, and um, I. It's. I also, I might as well just recommend their podcast too. We can do hard <laughs> things. I. It just like makes me happy when I listen to them, and um, they have it's with Glennon, her sister, and um, Abby now. Okay. Um, but it's really good, and it's just oh, yeah, so good. But um. And then, also, I also have 101 essays that will change the way you think, or will okay. change your what's it called? 101 essays that will change the way you think. Yeah, and I that's been sitting next to my bed, and I want to read that last one. Yeah, is that I want to read is um, Prisoners of Geography? Oh, that and, sounds
0: interesting.
1: Yeah i think it's gonna be really good kind of back into my history brain a bit Mm -hmm. and just i think it just talks about how um like it's prisoners of geography like where you were born and the region that you're in really dictates a lot of your economic um and just like social anything like the limit or like the limits that have been placed on you by where you were born and also mm-hmm. like the countries like on a broader scale too, of like how countries are able to develop and how they have been exploited is a really, really big product of just the placement on a map and how weather affects them and how like the, the type of land that they have and all of that. Like, so I think it's, I think that'll be a good one.
0: I'll add it to my list as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Just learning things. We out here learning.
0: We out here learning. I plan on, <laughs> I, I, I have like, a, I'm working on my book journal for the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw somebody says they're trying to commit to reading a cla- one classical novel every month. Oh, okay. I don't think I can commit to that. <laughs> but I want to commit to reading at least one work of nonfiction that will make my brain learn things okay. every month. Uh, I think at that's... least one. Because I did, I almost did that this year. I read like a lot more nonfiction than I usually would. And mm-hmm. I think I found myself kind of shocked that I was doing that. But there's so much to be read and so much to be learned. And I think that why limit myself when I, I read so many books anyways. What's one more nonfiction right. work? <laughs> Stretch the brain a and little I bit, th- you know. Honestly,
1: I feel like so many classical works are just, like they, they were given the title classical or like as a, like a, a classic. Mm-hmm by a man at some point yeah and it's just like they're not that good like some of them just are really not that good and yep. they're really misogynist and just like why would I read this now there's nothing I want to take away from this book yeah besides the fact that like people think I'm smart because I've read something that has the classic yeah you know literally. reputation that's like when
0: that's like when people ask you what you're reading if you're reading a fantasy novel and you say oh you know it's kind of like game of thrones and people respect you for that yeah because it's, <laughs> that's a man who wrote a series you know and we love game of thrones so i'm not saying we don't right but yeah. if you say oh i'm reading a, a fantasy novel and it's you know high uh, fae high fae fantasy fantasy smut and shit <laughs> then everybody's like oh you know okay. let women enjoy things right right <laughs> Anyways, all right. I think that's where we're going to leave it for this episode. Before we part, we'd just like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on, if applicable. If you have any further questions regarding topics discussed throughout the episode, feel free to join our Hardcover Host Discord server via the link in the show notes or send us an email at hardcoverhostpod at gmail.com, and we will be sure to get back to you. Feel free to recommend books to cover in future episodes as well. As always, I am Sam
1: Dixon. I'm Sammy Skorstad.
0: And this has been an episode of Hardcover Hoes. If you enjoyed this listening experience and you'd like to follow along with us next time, the next book on our to-be-read list is A Season for Second Chances by Jenny Bayliss. Until we meet again, enjoy your reading.